Good morning, church family. I just wanted to welcome you to another service on Sunday, June 7th, 2020. Uh, we really are grateful that you have chosen and taken the time to join us this morning for times of worship, of uh, interacting with one another, and teaching. Um, it really makes a difference in these really challenging times that uh, just continue to be really unprecedented. Uh, COVID-19 is still a very real reality for uh, all of us, and with the recent civil unrest, it just adds a, a new level of challenge and a complication to kind of how do we live our lives as believers. Um, and I just wanted to share a thought about how do we live in days like this as Christians. And this is uh, just a couple of uh, verses out of Hebrews 10, uh, where Paul says, um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And so really kind of our anchor at a time like this is Jesus. He is the anchor that we have. And, and our calling is to really reach out in Jesus's power and strength and love to one another and to stir one another up to how we can uh, really love one another with true love and good works within the church and even into our communities. So let's really just take that to heart as we spend this time together on a Sunday morning. Um, I encourage you also before uh, we move on with the service to even pause the video for a couple of minutes and just spend a few minutes in prayer, asking the Lord to come and be with you wherever you are this morning, to turn your heart, to turn your mind to Jesus, to just set everything else aside and to ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and be in you and be with you, to illuminate your heart, to illuminate your mind with all the things that take place in our service this morning. So again, thank you for joining us, and I really hope that you have just a blessed time uh, with whomever you're with or by yourself during this uh, service on Sunday. Thank you. Morning, church. Vinny here. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now let's worship together. to the heavens Your faithfulness stretches to the sky Your righteousness is like mighty mountains Your justice flows
Good morning, church family. I just can't believe it's been a week since we've already met. Time is, is flying by, but at the same time, it's standing still. But I'm looking forward to the day we all get to meet together again. So now it's time for meet and greet, and a couple people from our church would like to say hello and tell you how much they miss you as well. So let's meet and greet. Hi, this is Christine. This is Autumn. And we wanted to tell you that we love you so much, and we miss you, and we can't wait to see you again at the WOW, and hope you have a great week. Yes. And goodbye. Bye. Good morning, everyone. Uh, just wanted to say a quick hi. How are you? Um, Sarah Marin here, and baby Abigail. Uh, we just wanted to say that we miss you, all the kids in, um, in the nursery and in Kingdom Kids. We really just can't wait to physically be together again with all of you and and hear those little ones in the nursery and the kids running around um, and share stories again. So just a quick um, hi and hope to see you soon. Good morning, church family. I'm honored again this week to lead Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship in the giving segment of our online service. And I'd like to start by reading a, a passage from the sixth chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray for the offering this morning together. Father, we just praise you and thank you for all that you're doing through 
through your people, through what you've put on their heart to give to your kingdom, Lord. We praise you and thank you for those that are that are able to give. We praise you and thank you for what you put on the hearts of those people. It's been bountiful and the church has truly been blessed. We ask for your blessings to continue over uh, those that have been adversely affected, job losses and such, Lord. And we ask that you would give wisdom to us as we disperse your resources to fulfill your mission. In your name we pray, amen. I wanna thank everyone for the tremendous uh, outpouring of love that the Holy Spirit has put on your hearts. It's been, it's been well noted. And I want to also encourage you to continue seeking God's wisdom and what he's putting on your heart in your giving. We know that the church has many missions and many ministries that are fulfilled by your generous giving through him. I want to remind everybody that we still take mail, should you desire to send in your giving, to 1290 Grand Ojai. We also have uh, online giving available through the website and through the church app. Of course, I'm available at randy at ovcfchurch.org to help anybody, assist anybody in getting that set up if you're having difficulty. And we also have a mail slot in the door if you'd like to drop by the church and put that in there. And again, we just want to thank you for your uh, your diligence and continuing to support his mission and his work. Thank you, everyone, and God bless. Good morning again. I wonder who can guess what we're doing next. We are celebrating June birthdays. We always love to celebrate birthdays together because we are one big church family. So, birthday bear, let's sing it. All of you born in June, happy birthday, and we love you. Now it's time for announcements. I just want to let you know it is so hard not to crack up and smile, especially during my birthday announcements. So I just want to let you know if it seems like I'm very serious, I'm actually full of joy, and it just doesn't show, but it is a lot of fun to be able to celebrate birthdays with all of you. Talking about celebration, we had a great celebration last week. We had the caravan food drive. Um, before the um, food drive, we went over to Triple C, the continuing care center, and we were able to walk around the outside of the building, said, say hi to the residents inside. Um, it was just a great time, and they were so blessed to see the smiles on their faces as we walked around the building. It was all worth it, and it just it was such a joy. And then we went over to Nordoff, we got in our cars, and we were able to parade around the city through Ojai and Oakview and just spread the love of Jesus amongst the valley. And it was just a great time. We really want to thank Redemption for organizing it. Also, if you see the photo, that is the piano we donated to the Continuing Care Center. It goes perfect in there. And I just want to tell you, they are super blessed and they said thank you. So well, I'm so glad they were able to um, receive it and just be able to use it on a regular basis. Also, we just finished our series with the youth, which was called Greater Than by Francis Chan. It was a great series. We're gonna be starting up a new one in a couple weeks after graduation and all the finals are done. So look for that. And also, if you have any other questions, look at the bulletin. It has great information in it when the studies start, contact information. So now it is time for Kingdom Kids. 
So put on your wetsuits, snorkels, mask, and here we go. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, hi, Kingdom Kids. I'm so glad you joined us this week. Hey, I'm just reading a very interesting story about how Jesus calms the storm. And I'm sitting here on the beach, and it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And I was thinking to myself, hey, look at all these sea turtles, and I'm wondering where my friend is. Tess the sea turtle. Tess, Tess, where are you? Hi, Tess. Hello, Kim. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so nice to see you here. Were you talking about sea turtles? I sure was. To my Kingdom Kid friends, can you tell them a little bit about sea turtles? Sure. Did you know sea turtles are one of the most fascinating creatures on Earth? <gasps> they live their entire life in the ocean. Wow. In fact, only the females come ashore when it's time to lay eggs. Sea turtles live in warm temperature waters through the world and travel as far as 1,400 miles to search of feeding grounds. The smallest breed of sea turtles can grow up to 30 inches and 100 pounds, while the largest breed, the leatherback, can grow up to six and a half feet long and weighs 2,000 pounds. Sea turtles are unique in how they feed their babies. Every year, the female turtle crawls on to the land and lays their eggs. They dig a hole and dig their eggs in the sand and the tall grass to keep the young safe from danger. The mothers swim back like me out to sea. The baby sea turtles hatch and make their way to the sea and the cycle of life begins. In a way, the sea turtle's a great parent, like you, Kim. Oh, thank you, and like you, too. Thank you. She takes great care of her uh, to hide her eggs and keep them safe. But where is mom when the babies hatch? Hold on, I'll let you know. Oh, good. Where is mom when the baby has to make the dangerous trek from the sand to the surf? Where's mom when the baby enters the ocean and becomes easy pickings for predators? Some people think God is like a sea turtle parent. Yes, he created us, and yes, he gave us the world to live in. But where is God now? Where is God when someone we love feels ill? Where is God when we're told, no, our dreams come to an end? Where's God when we need a little love and we need and we feel all alone? God's protection doesn't end when we enter this world. He is with us from day one until the end. And if we place our trust in God, we have his protection through all eternity. Just like I was reading in today's scripture in Mark 4, 35 through 41. The disciples have a moment of panic. They find themselves in a very dangerous spot and they're incredibly frightened. Kind of like the baby sea turtles, you think? Yeah. Jesus was right there though, right with them. And they quickly learned that they had to trust Jesus and Jesus was going to take care of them. 
Oh, well, Kim, it looks like I better go. All my babies are starting to make their way out to yes. sea. Okay. It's been fun. Yes, and I, maybe I'll see you down there because I'm going to head down and check out the bottom of the ocean and see more of your friends and your family. Sounds good. Bye-bye, kids. Bye, Tess. Nice talking to you. See you soon. Hi, guys. You know what? I am so excited to be back down at the bottom of the ocean. I'm checking out all the beautiful beautiful animals and especially the sea turtles. I just wish there was someone else down here with me to check it out. Whoa! Renelle! Hi kid! How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Hey, did you see Tess the sea turtle? I did. She was heading back to see her babies as they swim into the ocean. Oh, she was so fun to talk with. Oh, Anyways, we did a lesson. We are talking about how Jesus calms the storm and how the disciples knew how a dangerous storm at sea could be. Many of them were fishermen and, and had no doubt lost friends to the sea in storms just like the one that had struck their boat. They felt helpless as the sea turtles just trying to make it off the beach before a seagull picked them off. But the disciples were not alone and they were not without protection. Jesus was right there, right beside them in the boat. In fact, Jesus was sleeping peacefully until they woke him up. Jesus absolutely had faith in his heavenly father that he was not in any dangerous, but just to calm the fears of his friends. He calmed the sea. What do you think of that? Wow, you know, Kim, Jesus reminds us that he told that he is always near to those who believe in him. He did not need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of anything because he will be with us. Yes. Try as we might, we will all have days where we feel like we're alone. We will go through rough patches with moms and dads and siblings. We've even had troubles with our friends, even our best friends. We will face illnesses and injury and the loss of loved ones. We will see tragedy in our own lives and in the worlds around us. When bad things happen, kids, people always ask, where is God? Why did God let this happen? If God really loved us, why couldn't he stop this from happening? I know I feel like that sometimes. Me too. God isn't afraid of our own doubts, but these questions are missing the point. We live in a world that is broken and fallen because of sin. God didn't bring sin into the world, we did. But rather than abandon us on the beach, we stuck with us. Even when the whole world seems to be falling apart, God will be there to comfort you and help you back on your feet. The world is a broken, dangerous place, just like the world sea turtles discover when they hatch. Thank God he did not leave us to live in this world alone. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, let today be the day you begin a personal relationship with him. And no matter what life throws at you, you will find Jesus will never leave you, never forsake you, and never, ever abandon you. That is awesome, and it's so true. Kingdom kids, it's awesome. God is always by your side. You are never alone. Hey, check out Kingdom Kids link on our website and check out all the fun things and activities and lesson plan that you can learn more about this lesson. And 
ways that you can feel that you're loved and protected and always know that God is always by your side. We'll see you guys next week. And I'm so excited you guys got to meet Tess the Sea Turtle. And I'm so happy that our friend Rennell got to say hi to us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Well, good morning. In 1992, I was on a mission trip to the island of Grenada. And one night on this mission trip, uh, there was a group of us, and we went to downtown Grenada, and we found a dirt lot. And we hung a, a sheet because our desire was to show a movie uh, using these big reels, you know, the old school movies, and, and, and then to share the gospel. And so we went there in the evening, found a dirt lot, hung a sheet with some rope, set up a projector, found some power, and played the movie. And when the movie was finished, uh, I had the opportunity to share the gospel. And this was 1992. In fact, this was April of 1992. And um, the riots in Los Angeles had just begun. The riots that uh, were a result of the Rodney King incident. And that evening, I spoke to those uh, on that dirt lot about uh, the need for man to have a relationship with God, uh, issue of sin, the fall of man, and really uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who brings a reconciliation to God through faith in him. And, and even through that reconciliation to God, that man is enabled to love one another uh, as we're commanded to. And I thought about uh, that uh, opportunity 28 years ago uh, because today, in 2020, right, 28 years later, uh, the issue uh, that happened uh, with George Floyd uh, on May 25th uh, has resurfaced many of the same issues, many of the same um, consequences uh, that occurred 28 years ago when I was preaching the gospel on the small island of Grenada late at night in the midst of the L.A. riots. And, and this morning, uh, my heart is to really uh, come alongside the church, to come alongside the church. In, in Grenada that evening, I spoke uh, primarily to, to non-believers who were in attendance and, and gave them the opportunity for the first time to respond to the gospel and put their faith in Jesus. And 28 years later, God has put it on my heart to really come alongside the church and shepherd you, shepherd uh, us as the church, as followers of Jesus through this time that we are facing. And we're going to begin looking at Ephesians 3, and then we're going to really uh, seek the Lord through His Word uh, to really bring us back to the foundation, the core of what it means to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. In Ephesians 3, 1 through 7, you know that we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about uh, the calling to ministry that he has. And, and specifically, he speaks about his ministry regarding uh, the church and his uh, message to the Gentiles. 
that, hey, the good news applies to you and uh, you can uh, come into the church through faith in Jesus and Jews and Gentiles. Despite centuries of hatred and animosity, Jews and Gentiles are now uh, one in Christ in the church as members of the body of Christ. In Ephesians 3, 8 through uh, 13, we'll read, it says this. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. So uh, what these verses in essence are saying is that Paul is coming alongside the saints to shepherd them uh, because he's writing from prison. He's been imprisoned because of his faith. And what he's telling the saints is, hey, hey, it's okay. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Right? God is still in control. Uh, the, the, con the circumstances that I face right now in prison really uh, are part of his plan for the church, part of his uh, overall plan uh, as I fulfill my calling to preach. Right? So, so he's really coming alongside and shepherding the saints and saying, hey, in these circumstances, I want you to have the right perspective. I want you to, to understand that God is in control and, and God's plan is being fulfilled for his church, and I'm just simply doing my part. Okay, so he really has a shepherd's heart for the saints not to lose heart, not to be discouraged. And this morning, that's my heart for us as well. Because the circumstances of the last uh, few weeks, um, you know, it's been very challenging. I've had uh, several really, really good discussions uh, with uh, believers, with brothers in, uh, in Christ, and, and it's just been honest. It's just been real. It's just been a very challenging time to navigate uh, what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what we're feeling, and to, and to navigate it staying focused, staying focused on God and, and walking in the Spirit. Now, we know that in a new covenant relationship, when we put our faith in Jesus, this new covenant relationship that we enter, uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, we're a new creation. And in fact, uh, we're given a new mind, right? 1 Corinthians 2, 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What that means is uh, we're spiritually alive, we're awakened, we can now understand spiritual truth, and we can now develop a biblical worldview to process everything spiritually. Okay? So not only are we given a new mind, but we're given a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So when you enter a new covenant relationship through faith in Jesus, you have a new heart. And the heart is the core of your being, right? It's called being born again, regeneration. You're given a new nature. You, you not only are placed into the family of God, but this new nature uh, enables you to, to want 
to honor God, to want to love God, to want to obey God, to want to walk in His will. Okay, so in the New Covenant, we're given the mind of Christ, a new mind. We're given a new heart, okay? And we know from Colossians 3 that that we're called to seek and set our minds on things above, right? And Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Okay, so, so we're given a new mind, we're given a new heart, and then Scripture tells us to, what to do with the new mind and the new heart. We're to set and seek our minds on things above, right? And we're to guard our heart because out of the heart, the center, the center of our being, all the issues of our life flow. And yet, in circumstances in our life, not just what's uh, just happening right now, but, but any trial, any, any uh, time we, we get maybe uh, challenged to, to a very high degree, it can be very difficult to keep our minds and our hearts focused, rooted, grounded on where they need to be. Adrian Rogers uh, has a quote. It says, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, right? And, and in these circumstances, we have to be very careful that our heart doesn't get hardened, that our heart um, becomes so uh, reaction-driven and circumstance-driven and emotion-driven that, that our heart begins to impact all the other areas of our life, okay? And, and this can be very, very challenging because uh, we're human. We're human. And this past week, even uh, for myself, as I was, uh, you know, processing what happened uh, with George Floyd and, and all the um, uh, turmoil and protests and rioting and looting, everything that happened as a consequence and is still happening, you know, uh, just at the human level, I'm watching it. I'm, you know, having this reaction to it. And, and I'm going to be very honest with you. There was uh, a period in the last week or so where, where I, I understood and I had to catch myself. And I said, whoa, 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 be very careful. You're not in a good place right now. Because, see, many of you know, I've shared this before at the well, that, that uh, growing up through my teenage years and even through college, uh, you know, there were some unpleasant, some very challenging uh, experiences with people from different races, and, and it Im- impacted me. It impacted me greatly. And in this past week, as these circumstances happened, and as I just uh, became more and more uh, kind of consumed with watching it, Thoughts and emotions and, and the old me, you know, the before Christ, uh, Richie, all started to rear up. And, and I literally remember one point this past week, I had to say, whoa, time out, time out. This is not a good place. You need to stop. You need to turn it all off. You need to turn off all the media. You, need to, you just need to stop. And you need to get quiet before God. Because I was allowing my mind and my heart to be really swayed and, and distracted and put on things that really weren't godly, that really weren't in line with Scripture. And it was just the flesh reacting, right? And now I'm trying to process this. And what I really had to do was stop. And I had to seek the Lord. And I, and I said, Lord, 
What is it? Well, okay, let me just pause here. Where do I go, Lord? Help me. I just need to stop. I'm, I'm wound up. What do I do? And, and by God's grace, he, he led me to really the fundamentals, the, the, the foundations, right, of, of what he wants of his children, what he wants of, of his followers. And, and I was reminded uh, when Jesus was asked, you know, hey, what are the two greatest commandments, right, to, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself? He brought me back there. Because, see, what had happened is the scribes, the, the religious leaders, uh, at one point uh, had determined that Jews were obligated to obey 630 precepts in the law. There were 365 negative precepts, 248 positive. And, and what they would do was debate, discuss uh, which of these was the greatest, right? So they have 613, and they like to dis debate, discuss which one's the most important, which one's the most important. And, and in a sense, I was thinking, okay, Lord, in the midst of all this circumstance, wh where do I go? What's most important to you? What, Lord, what, what's, what's most important to you? What's priority to you? And, and there's a couple passages we want to look at this morning, and my prayer is that it will, would ground you, would bring you back to the roots, the foundation, the priority that we all have as believers in the church. Okay, Mark 12, 28 to 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Right? So we're to love God with our whole being, the totality of our being, right? And that was based on uh, Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema, right? So we're to love God with our whole being. And then the second commandment, based on Leviticus 19.18, is we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that I have to spend time learning to love myself. You know, that has been misinterpreted. What it means to love your neighbor as yourself, it means you already love yourself. You take care of yourself. You, you feed yourself. You want your own best interests. You go out of your way to love and care for yourself already. And in the, in the same way that you love for yourself already, love others. That's what that means, okay? Matthew twenty-two forty. on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Romans 13, 8 to 10, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other, any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So love is the foundation of the law, and you can't separate the vertical love from God to the horizontal love out to your neighbor. And neighbor means just general human beings, just human beings in general, okay? And so in 1 John 4, 19, uh, it says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So it's inseparable, right? The love of God 
should, must manifest itself out to loving our neighbor as we already love ourselves. Okay, it goes vertical to horizontal. Jesus, in this passage, we keep reading Mark 12, 32 to 34, Jesus responds, uh, the scribe responds, then Jesus responds, right? So it says this, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What does it mean when Jesus says, hey, good answer. You are not far from the kingdom of God, right? This is what it means. It says, what does it mean when a person is not far from the kingdom of God? It means he or she is facing truth honestly and is not interested in defending a party line or even personal prejudices. It means the person is testing his or her faith by what the word of God says and not by what some religious group demands. People close to the kingdom have the courage to stand up for what is true, even if they lose some friends and make some new enemies. Okay? We also know that when we say we love God, that the fruit of loving God is obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. So Jesus is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He says, love God with your whole being. Love your neighbor as yourself. This scribe who hears this gets it. He gets it. Really good response. Contrast that to the same question, the same discussion about the two greatest commandments uh, in Luke, uh, but a lawyer has a completely different response, right? Luke 10, 25 to 29. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? This lawyer completely missed it. When Jesus says, Hey, love God with your whole being, love your neighbors yourself perfectly without fail, that was designed to get this lawyer to humble himself and to say, That's impossible. I need mercy and grace. I can't do that. But rather than doing that, the lawyer tries to justify himself and he asks, Well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You know, trying to get Jesus to maybe give him a definition that he can sort of uh, justify. Well, I do that. Okay, I'm good. Right? And it was really interesting because if you think about that, uh, that question is very interesting. Who is my neighbor? Well, who qualifies? Right? Who's worthy of my time, my energy, my resources? Does this person fit in the box that I call neighbor? Does this person fit into the box that I, I you know, whoever fits my box is worthy of my um, love? Right? And, and he gets one, he wants to create this debate, this discussion. And, and I thought about that because how many of us maybe have these boxes? That, that we put people in and we say, they're my neighbor, they're not my neighbor. They're my neighbor, they're not my neighbor. Whatever those boxes, whatever those qualifications, limitations, standards might be. And I titled uh, the, the title of this message is, you know, who are the people in your neighborhood? Kind of a play on words with the Sesame Street song. Because it's, if you think about it, it's a really powerful question. Who are the people in your neighborhood? 
Who are the people in my neighborhood? Meaning, do I have standards? Do I have limitations? Do I have biases, prejudices, whatever you want to call it, about how I view people as either part of my neighborhood or not? And based on how I judge them, that results in how I will love them or not. Right? So Jesus uh, goes on and he tells a very uh, famous story about the Good Samaritan. About the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 25 to 32. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was very steep, windy, 17 miles, and lots of places for robbers, bandits to hide. It was very, very dangerous. And Jesus tells a story of a, of a traveler, and, and consensus says he was a Jewish traveler, who's robbed, right, beaten, left for dead. And along come a priest right? A Jewish priest and then a Levite. And the listeners in both cases uh, would have assumed that these two uh, people would have stopped to help a fellow Jew. But according to the story, they intentionally ignore him, intentionally bypass the man lying on the road. And suddenly a Samaritan Appears. And if you know the story of the history of the Jews hating the Samaritans because the Jews considered them half-breed, uh, the Samaritans had intermarried with Gentiles, they had developed their own religion, so there was just this history of racial and religious uh, bigotry, hatred, they despised each other, right? So in this story, Jesus says the third person to come along, the man lying in the road, was a Samaritan. And the listeners probably would have said, oh, here comes the villain. It's a Samaritan. And Jesus flips it. And he says, hey, this Samaritan had compassion on the man on the road. This Samaritan went out of his way and self-sacrificially took care of this wounded individual, right, of his own resources. He cared. He had compassion. And here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. We're not even sure, and it's probably likely that if it, the roles had been reversed and it was a Samaritan man lying on the road, dying, that actually all three, if they were all Jews, they would have bypassed him. There's no guarantee that this would have been reciprocal. And so Jesus says this Samaritan doesn't let racial hatred, doesn't let the past, doesn't let, uh, you know, everything that's under the, you know, going on between the Jews and Samaritans, it doesn't prevent him from having compassion and self-sacrificially caring for this Jewish man, right? In Luke 10, 36 to 37, it says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. 
You see, the lawyer said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus completely flips the meaning and the, and the power is, you know, it's not about who is your neighbor. It's about you being neighborly to anyone who has a need. Don't try to qualify people uh, and, and put them into your box of who is a neighbor to you. No, you have a neighborly heart. You love people. You be the neighbor. You be neighborly to anyone regardless of race, regardless of any, any human you know, standard division. You be neighborly. You go love. Right? So who are the people in your neighborhood? Anyone who has a need. Anyone who has a need. I want to read a passage by Warren Wearsby um, that really, really uh, summarizes this and really, I think, brings it home. He says this, The big question is, to whom can I be a neighbor? And this has nothing to do with geography, citizenship, or race. Wherever people need us, there we can be neighbors and, like Jesus Christ, show mercy. The lawyer wanted to discuss neighbor in a general way, but Jesus forced him to consider a specific man in need. How easy it is for us to talk about abstract ideals and fail to help solve concrete problems. We can discuss things like poverty and job opportunities and yet never personally help feed a hungry family or help someone find a job, somebody find a job. Of course, the lawyer wanted to make the issue somewhat complex and philosophical. But Jesus made it simple and practical. He moved it from duty to love, from debating to doing. To be sure, our Lord was not condemning discussion or debates. He was only warning us not to use these things as excuses for doing nothing. So this morning, as we prepare for communion, the messages, the, the you know, The challenge is, who are the people in your neighborhood? What is the condition of your heart? If you say you love God with your whole being, how is that translating out into loving others, loving your neighbor, being neighborly to anyone in need? 1 John 4, 7, 11 says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. As we prepare for communion, reflect on the incredible truth that God first loved you. And let that love from God become a catalyst for you to become one, a person that loves others with that same kind of love. So we're going to take communion um, during this song. I invite you to take communion, to use this song as a time to reflect, maybe even confess, confess if you have been asking who is my neighbor versus actively seeking to love those with any need that God brings into your path, to have a neighborly, loving heart, to love others as God has loved you. So let's sing this song. You can take communion in remembrance of Jesus and God's grace and God's love for you personally. And then we'll come back and we'll close.
In preparing for this morning's message, uh, I was challenged uh, with um, the breadth and, and, you know, the importance of, of what is going on in the country and how to shepherd uh, the flock through these times all within 25, 30 minutes. And uh, really, uh, that's why uh, this morning we just go all the way back to uh, what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? I had a couple of uh, really wonderful discussions uh, this week, and, and a couple times uh, this question came up. The question is, uh, where's the church? And uh, that spawned you know, a bit more discussion, and I reminded some individuals that, you know, the church is really made up of individual followers of Jesus. The church is the people. And so, you know, when you say, where is the church? You really have to bring it all the way back down to individual followers of Jesus. And that's what the message is really about today is as a follower of Jesus, what is the condition of your heart? If you say you're loving God with your whole being, is that translating out to loving others with that same kind of love? That's an individual, um, uh, you know, an individual uh, commitment. It's an individual time where, where you let God speak truth and reveal things maybe you don't even want to see that you need to confess and repent of uh, regarding other people uh, that are different than you. You know, this can be a very challenging time of, conf- of conviction, of confession, of repentance, and receiving God's forgiveness and sanctification because you grow through that. When I first uh, became involved in ministry, 
God challenged me to uh, go into different neighborhoods in San Diego and to, to bring kids to our church um, that I grew up really not associating with and going into neighborhoods that I really um, never went into in San Diego, never really had a desire to go into. And yet, through my ministry experience, God challenged me to go meet the needs of these teenagers who had a spiritual hunger, who had a spiritual need for Jesus. You know, God challenged me to get over myself, to go love them and go pick them up, to go into those neighborhoods, pick them up, bring them to church, and then afterwards bring them back into those neighborhoods and drop them off because it wasn't about me. It was about glorifying God. It was about letting the love of God come through me to the love of these teenagers, which meant I'm going to go get them and I'm going to be put out of my comfort zone and I'm going to be challenged with my own boxes and my own limitations and my own attitudes and thoughts that I had picked up along the way. And so it was challenging, but it was healthy spiritually. It caused me to grow. It caused me to to really walk by faith and obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This passage in my time of walking with Jesus, in my time of ministry, this passage really is meaningful to me because he changed my heart from a heart of condemnation and a heart of being critical to a heart of compassion. Compassion that was manifested in self-sacrificially giving of myself, my time, my energy for people's real need, which is a need for Jesus, but then also meeting practical needs in their lives as best as possible. So, So I want to encourage you. We can't meet every need out there, right? Sometimes you see things that are happening like, that's so big, what can I do, right? Well, God knows your limitations. God knows what you're able to do. The real question is, is your heart open? Are you available for when God brings opportunities into your life for you to love and be neighborly? And we're not talking big things. We're talking simple things, simple things in your community, simple things as you just are living your life, coming across people uh, that have needs and you are just lovingly helping meet those needs in whatever capacity you're able to, okay? This passage also reminds me, we all can have compassion. We can pray, and we can say, God, help me to have the heart that you want me to have for all those around me in need. We recognize that ultimately the most important need is a spiritual need to know Jesus, but then also, We can help meet practical needs as we're able. I want to close with a a quote by Alexander McLaren, and then we'll pray together. He says this, The world would be a changed place if every Christian attended to the sorrows that are plain before him. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for our time this morning. We're reminded that the greatest commandment is to love you with our whole being and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. To let the love that we enjoy, to, to let the love that comes from your grace be manifested outwards towards others in need. Father, we acknowledge that this is a fruit of the Spirit, that in the flesh we cannot. We need you. We ask for your grace. We ask for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to enable us to love others self-sacrificially in the same way that you first loved us. So, Father, we need you in these times. Father, I just, our desire is that you would be glorified. Our desire, Father, is that we would be uh, uh, used by you to be salt and light in these times. Father, give us the right uh, heart, your heart, for everyone that we come in contact with. If there's a way, if there's a need that you would have us to meet, Lord, may we be faithful, may we be obedient, may we do that all in the power of the Holy Spirit and all for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for being uh, with us again this morning. Have a blessed week, and we look forward uh, to gathering once again next Sunday.